own, something you'll be looking at Scripture with us this morning will be in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. I've been working through Luke now for the, the last few months. Um, this gospel was written by Luke, um, second generation uh, believer looking to write. Um, he, he has a patron, Theophilus, and he's looking to write kind of an orderly account um, from the announcement of John the Baptist and Jesus, right, their birth announcements, all the way through the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. And then a second part of the story is that Luke is continued in Acts. It's a two-part story all the way through then the first couple generations of the church. And so he's looking to give security, stability, assurance to Theophilus and all who would read it as he has gone through and interviewed and talked and has taken the story of Jesus and, and laid it out for us. Um, the question that ultimately we can be asking as we engage Luke is, is really is this, is who is Jesus? Like, who is He to us? A question that the disciples are asking, the question the crowds are asking, and ultimately a question that needs to be on our, uh, on our lips and on our mind and on our heart is, is, is who is He to us? Right? Like, what is Scripture revealing about Him? Um, and so I want to pick up in verse 40, um, of Luke 8. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, He implored Him to come to His house. For He had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around Him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. All right, we're going to stop there for just a moment and, and we'll continue. But I want us to set the scene so that we, we see the, the tension of what is happening here. Right, so Jesus has come back. Um, last week we saw Him calm the storm um, as Dan preached. So they're back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're there now. The crowds are awaiting. Jesus is developing um, a bit of a reputation, right? Um, at this point, it's still kind of a celebrity or at least a sense of Hey, we, we want to see what he does. Like he's he's doing some tremendous things. People are being healed. These these um, he's casting out demons. He's teaching. He's confounding the religious rulers and leaders. Like we want to just see. Like it's it's a bit of a, a of a show. And so the crowds are there and they're awaiting. Like okay, what's he going to do today? And as the crowds are there, here comes the local synagogue leader, a man who would have had standing in the community who would have been respected, um, who could have used his status. right? But he comes and immediately Jairus falls to his knees in front of Jesus and says, listen, I have a daughter. She's my only daughter. She's dying. Please come. And Jesus agrees. But now, I want you to imagine right, the, the traffic here at this point. right? If you've ever been in traffic and you needed to be somewhere, even for something way less significant, right? It's just you might be late. And that whole sense of, come on, come on, come on! You know, like, 
Like, we, we, we can make this go. Like, get, get that yellow light, right? No, we can make this turn. Come on. Like, you can imagine the urgency of Jairus and the hopes that Jesus, one, will come, and now that He is, they are kind of boxed in, and so they're trying to work their way through a crowd, and it's pressed in on them. And you can just imagine the, the, the tension, the fear, the panic, the anxiety, the desperation in Jairus as he's trying to lead through the crowd, and Jesus is following, and he's the whole time Jairus is asking, am I too late? Are we going to get there in time? Is Jesus going to be able to do what I hope He's able to do? And in the same scene, with the, the chaos and the crowd and the noise and the people pressing in, at the same time there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who has spent her life savings trying to find healing because it makes her um, unclean, impure in society. And that she, with embarrassment and trepidation and fear, is thinking, and if I can just touch Him, if I can just touch Him, maybe it'll work. Maybe I will be healed. And so she doesn't want a scene. She doesn't want a public spectacle, right? And so she's just kind of working her way through the crowd, already breaking right, social norms here to try to get close enough to touch Him. And she does. She touches Him, Right? the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? A strange question to be said, right? And, and Peter kind of mimics us here and says, um, when the people around him denied it, right, because they're wondering, have I offended him? Have I upset him? You can imagine her shirking back and hoping, oh, no, 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 don't, don't look at me. That Peter goes, um, Master? The crowds surround you and are pressing in on you, it's kind of, he's just kind of being like, you're asking who touched you? They're all touching you. Like, they're all pressing in. Like, what do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Someone has touched me with intent. Right? Like, they've touched me, and, and power has left me. Someone touched me, and something's happened. Right? And, and, and we're, we're going to come back to this in a moment. But in the, you can almost, for just a moment, forget about Jairus. Right Now Jesus has stopped, and He's asking, hey, who touched me? And you can imagine Jairus, as grateful as he is that Jesus is coming, going, are you kidding me? Who touched you? My daughter is dying. Please, hurry, please, come. And Peter's going, hey, he, this seemed to be a significant thing that we're going to do. Why are we stopping and having this conversation? Why are we trying to sort this out? Like, what is happening? And so you can imagine confusion in Peter. You can imagine fear in this woman who's about to be outed. You can imagine the crowd just being like, all right, what's he going to do? And Jairus' absolute panic. So we continue. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, Jairus' house, came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And so Luke leads us into this place of tension, where on the one hand we're celebrating, okay, this is a strange scene, but this woman is healed. This is tremendous. 
um, Jesus has done what twelve years worth of doctors and all her money could not do, and then we're immediately interrupted with no, 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 she's dead, and you can imagine. Right, Jairus, the news he was fearing, as he probably even saw them coming, going, oh no, no. And, and the tension that we're supposed to feel here of, are, are, wait, one's living and healed and one's dying? Like what, what is taking place? Like why this tension? We pick up verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, on hearing this answered him, can imagine him now looking across the crowd, looking at Jairus and saying, no, 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 don't fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what has happened. Like, what a, what, what a chock-full passage. It's actually the only place in the Gospel where two miracles are inter, interwoven like this. It's the only place that we're seeing this happen. And so what I want us to do this morning is look and kind of compare and contrast Jairus' daughter and this older woman. And the first thing that we, we notice, one, is power. Right? Like last week as Dan preached, we saw that Jesus has the power right, to cast out demons. We saw Him have the power over nature, that He calmed the storm with a word. And here, in Jairus' daughter, we see the power of life over death. The, the one who was dead is no longer dead because Jesus has simply said, you're not dead. Like, arise. Get up. And that for this woman, that he has power over disease. A disease that all that medicine, all that modern men could have done, all that money could have done, he has healed her in a moment. Not in a process, in a moment. That this power over disease and death. And then we see him personally connecting with him. Look down at verse 54. It says like he's sitting down at the bed, but taking her by the hand. Right? So you can imagine Jesus now as the professional grievers and mourners are there wailing and lamenting, laughing at him that he would say that she was merely asleep. Right? A euphemism for death, right? But he's saying, and this is temporary, she's coming back. That he sits down on the bed like a parent would, and he takes her by the hand. He says, child, right? Like the, the translation is, is, is a term of endearment, almost like, like sweetie or honey. Honey, get up. Like how personal is that? That he has seen this mom and dad in their panic and in their grief. He's the mourners. And he just looks at this child and says, sweetheart, get up. And immediately, life enters her. Her spirit returns and she gets up at once and he directed that something be given to her to eat. Like that she is back to herself, to normal. And her parents are amazed that he is not just having power over death, but he is personally seeing and caring for them. In verse 48, 
with a woman who's been bleeding, right? As she is now panicked before him and has been outed, the first thing he says to her, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Like he, he sees her. And it would have been strange because most likely she was older than him for her to, ref- to have referred to her in this kind of familial way of daughter. But he sees her and, he's, and where she's fearful and wondering, how's he going to respond? Is he going to out me? Like what's going to happen here? He looks at her and says, daughter. Like he sees and is being personal. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then do you notice that in one situation he tells them, don't talk. To Jairus' parents, right, to the mourners, he says, right, he charged them in verse 56 to tell no one what has happened. But to the woman, he makes her speak before the crowd. So why would he have told Jairus and his wife and the mourners to tell no one what's happened? The crowds are outside. They're beginning to follow him wherever he goes, right? They are spectators, looking, watching, desiring a sign. Right? When the teaching gets hard, we see the crowds depart. When signs are happening, when wonders and miracles are happening, the crowds come. And the, the miracles and the signs and the healings that Jesus is doing right, are a part of His ministry. They are not the center, the heart of it. They are evidence of the message that He's bringing. Right? Like when He told the woman, um, told the man who's been lowered through the ceiling, hey, your sins are forgiven, and everyone like, is in a, a gasp with horror. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, so that you know that I can say your sins are forgiven and that they are, get up and walk. Like the sign was meant to confirm the teaching of what Jesus is bringing um, spiritually. There was a physical sign to confirm a spiritual teaching. And so this is the heart is that He is bringing a kingdom, He's bringing restoration, He's bringing um, miracles, but there's a teaching to restore us back to God, and the miracles are meant to affirm it, to come alongside of it. And if we're not careful, the crowds, and for us, we can want the signs more than we want Him. We just want to be impressed. We want to be entertained. We want a show. And so He knows that if it's told that He's just raising people from the dead, then all people are going to want to talk about, all people are going to want to see is, what else can you do? Can you do it again? This person's been dead for longer, right? Like, and, not, and missing the heart of the message and the teaching itself. It's shifting the focus. And so he tells them, hey, don't talk about it. You have your daughter back. But to the woman who touches him in the crowd, he says, I want you to share. The crowd here is it's talking about that it's being crowded and like pressed down on them. It's the same language that in the, the parable of the four soils that um, J.R. preached a couple weeks ago about right, faith being choked out. He is giving her an opportunity to affirm the belief and the hope and the faith that she had, the willingness she had to touch Him. He's giving her an opportunity to affirm it, to say it out loud, so that her faith isn't choked, but it comes to life. Right? And so in this scene, he knows the reason she was willing to put herself in an awkward situation, that she was willing to break social faux pas, right? That she was willing to do that was because she believed that Jesus could do something for her. And so she didn't want to put herself out there. She didn't 
want to do it publicly because she was ashamed of her condition. She'd been removed from society. She wasn't able to have close fellowship with friends or family. She wasn't able to be involved in religious culture. But here she is hoping and believing that God was going to do something here. And he, and he wants now for her to say it. Right? And listen to what she does. She says, who touched me? When all denied it, in verse 45, Peter said, Master, the crowd's surrounding you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the, when the woman saw she wasn't hidden, she came trembling, you can feel for her here, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. So she shares her shame. She shares her condition. She shares her hope and her faith, right, in front of all of them. And that she had now been immediately healed. And so he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He allows her faith to be affirmed before everyone because of the message that she had shared. So the focus was the message. We see in, in both of these that she was unclean and having touched Jesus, it should have made Him unclean. Um, we see that in um, Leviticus 15 when a woman was bleeding like this. In Numbers 19, we're reminded that if you touch a corpse that you would be unclean. So we see Jesus here, the, the pure, the clean one, touching that which is impure and unclean and, and fixing it, making it right, not being made impure himself in both of these situations. So what do we glean? Like, What do we learn about Jesus from these two powerful, emotionally driven stories? The first thing is this, is that He can be trusted. He can be trusted with, with all of you. Like, all of you, emotionally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Like, she, this first woman comes trembling, looking to avoid any sort of recognition, any sort of public spectacle, and like, her literal nightmare occurs. She touches Him, and in that moment she realizes she's healed, and then she immediately gets called out. And it's like, oh, no. The one thing that I didn't want to happen is now happening. Attention is being drawn. You can imagine the crowds are going, well, I didn't do it. What's going on? Like, and as all the spotlight goes onto her, as He begins to affirm her, what He's doing is He's saying, listen, I'm not just going to make you physically well. I want to make you whole as a person. Right? Her interaction with Jesus is going to repair every, bring immediate impact into every arena of her life. She's now socially able to engage people. She's now religiously be able to be involved because she's no longer bleeding. Like it is impacting all of her. And he's saying, You can trust me with all of you. Like, I, and he affirms her. It's not just physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's her whole self. And He tells her, go in peace. It's a reminder to us from Luke 2.14, right? The, the Christmas kind of birth announcement passage. right? What do the shepherds say? Or what do the angels say to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is well pleased. He is saying, I am pleased in you, and you can go in peace. Peace in yourself. Peace with the, the public. Peace 
with God. Like He has made her a whole woman again. Far more than just a healing. He has met her. In Jairus, when he says um, in verse 50, don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. This promise that he's coming, that he's going to make her well, he's asking Jairus to trust him. To trust him. He's saying, you can trust me. Let's keep going to the house. You're not going to be let down. Second thing is not only can Jesus be trusted, it's that we are secure with Him. I love the imagery of Jesus sitting on the bed and taking her, the little girl's hand. And He's holding her hand. Because it takes us to passages like John 10. I want to read this to you. Verses 27 and 28. He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. Jesus is reminding and telling us, listen, when you're in His hand, you are secure. You're secure. Nothing is going to remove you from His hand. And when He gives life, He gives it eternally, and nothing is going to take you from Him. And so we have this imagery, right, of him taking this young girl's hand and, and bringing life, but also this promise that he says, my hand is secure. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or a sword? Like he's showing, like is it war? Is it hunger? Is it pain? Like what can separate us from God? Look down at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things that we don't right, things to come, things that we don't yet know in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those promises are big and they're bold and we put them um, right on, on coffee mugs. Scenes like Luke 8 flesh them out for us. That Jesus is showing you can trust Me with all of you and you are secure. You are safe with Me. I'm going to take your hand and in My hand you are secure. Death doesn't get the final say. Life, right? I'm Emmanuel. God with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are secure in Him. The third thing is this. Church, would you be reminded this morning that Jesus sees you? He sees us, right? He sees all of us. Both Jairus for the sake of his daughter and this woman had desperate needs. Desperate needs. Both would have been perceived in the community very differently. Right? Jairus would have been seen as a man of stature and of status, respected. Right? This woman is, is unknown and unnamed as an outcast in society. Right? One was clean. The other was ceremonially unclean. One was known. Right? One was unknown. So it would have been easy to say Jairus probably deserved it, right? He deserves some help because look at all that he does. 
This woman, uh, we don't know enough about her to know if she deserves it or not. Right? Like that's, that would be easy to run there in our heads, in our hearts, right? for society and the culture to have said this. And yet he meets both of their needs. Both of them. They get what they're longing for, what they're desperate for, what they're needing, and they get it from Jesus. Right? That we don't have to come cleaned up and respectable with status and known for Jesus to meet us. We can be on the fringe of society, impure and unclean and unknown, and yet met and rescued. He saw her shame. Listen, we all carry a level of shame. For some of you, you have to almost remind yourself of what it is. For others, it feels crippling. Um, I remember being in fourth grade um, at Lamar Elementary, preparing for a school play. Um, Fortunately, it wasn't a musical, right? Because I can't sing. It was a play. And we had to try out. And I memorized a really long passage. Um, I think it was towards the night before Christmas. And so in, in that, you had to try out. And so I, I, I tell it, and I remember the assistant to the choir, they're picking the parts, and she made the comment, like, great memory, like, like he, can, he can learn the line, but would people want to listen to his voice, right? And she made a comment about it being, like, nasally, right? And it was, she was not, listen, she was not trying to be rude. It was more of just like a fact. Up until that point in my life, I had never thought about my voice, what it sounded like or what it didn't sound like. It was just my voice. That singular word thought bore itself into my head, into my heart, for years to come. That I had no problem having a one-on-one conversation with you, but if I was asked to speak before a class or before anything, it was like crippling. And I, and I would try to figure out, could I, could I change my voice? Like I, It just... No one meant anything bad by it, but it it embarrassed me and it shamed me that I was somehow less, that I was somehow right. And and listen, in the light of ways things to have shame, this is a pretty small one. But I would have told you when God called me into ministry, I'm mean, as a high school senior, as 18 years old, I I can't be a preacher because it was that that thought was still in my mind that I can't speak before people, not because I don't think I can remember or I can do it because I don't want people to hear my voice and to comment on it. Um, the Lord has brought a lot of healing in that regard, and it, it almost feels shameful and embarrassing to say it was ever an issue. Um, right? Even in this moment, I'm like, oh, like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Right? Like, because now am I going to think about it again? But here's the deal. Shame can cripple us. Right? It, we can feel like it's the only thing that people see, whether they know it or not. And so we have all sorts of defense mechanisms for it, right? We can use um, humor. We can use defensiveness, so we just attack you before you get me, right? We can use boldness. We can hide and be shy. We can lie. We can mask. Um, For some of you, maybe this morning, your shame is due to your own sin. For some of you, it's due to sin that's been done to you, right? It's been abuse or pain You've been victimized. It's your past, your family, your reputation. There's all sorts of things. 
This woman in this moment has been suffering for 12 years with a, with a condition that would have shamed her in her society. And now here Jesus is making her say it out loud. Her worst nightmare. Except that she's just been healed. And so she's getting to say, well, that's who I was. Here's who I am. And folks, we hear the gospel. Your shame does not define you. Your past does not define you. Things that have happened to you do not define you. Things that you have done do not define you when you meet Jesus. We are new creations. We are transformed and we are changed. The truth sets us free and Jesus gets the final word. And so listen, my voice may be weird, right? And you may be thinking, that's, that, I've always wondered, that's what it was, right? But that, oh, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Like you, she was saying, I can out myself in the thing that I wanted no one to know. I can say it because Jesus sees me. And I'm secure in Him. And I can trust Him. And He's meeting me in it and bringing hope and peace and healing. Why? Because when Jesus interacts with us, restoration and reversal happen. Listen, because of sin and rebellion, the world is broken, it's cursed, um, and yet Jesus is coming in and He's changing perception and He's showing power and He's saying, hey, used to you touched a corpse, you were unclean. Not me. When I touch a corpse, I come to life. Used to if you were to touch a woman who was unclean, you would be unclean and have to go through all these purification rituals. Not me, she's healed. He is showing us what we were meant for. right? That we are not meant for death. We are not meant for sickness. We are not meant for shame. We are not meant for disease. We are meant to rejoice and to flourish and walk with God. It's not supposed to be this way. And church, a day is coming where it will no longer be this way. Where Jesus will split the sky and He'll return for His bride, the church, and He will right, restore all things. Creation itself is groaning, longing for the day when the new earth and the new heavens will come. And we will walk with our God like we were meant to. And every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more and pain will be no more and sickness will be no more and mourning will be no more and shame will be no more and sin will be no more because we will be with Jesus where we belong and He will dwell with us and us with Him forever. And this is a picture of that reversal breaking forth, the kingdom coming forth here so that we can go, oh, we can hope and promise and revel in it. It is coming once and for all. So the final thing then is not just that Jesus can be trusted, not just are we secure with Him, not just that He sees you this morning, not just that He restores and reverses the way that the world is. The final one is this, that we can trust Him in His timing in all of our circumstances. Listen, think about Jairus for just a moment. 12-year-old daughter dying, prime of her life, right? And all of a sudden, in the midst of him talking to this woman, talking about the crowd being delayed, she dies. And Jairus is thinking, nope, not the way it's supposed to be. This other woman, 12 years sick. And yet in this day, 12 years wiped away. Death wiped away. Jesus is looking at Jairus and saying, do you believe all things are possible in me? That, that I get the final say, not your circumstances? 
trust me, believe me, let's head to your house, I'm going to make it right. That's what's going to happen. Can we trust this morning that in the timing and circumstances of our life, God is at work? And that your circumstances don't get the final say. Even if your life is not going according to plan, even if it's not how you would have drawn it up, like every one of us could look at a portion of our life and say, that, that, I would have done it different. I would have done it different. And yet God here, we see, right? Is it easier for us to look at Jairus and go, hey man, your, your daughter was brought back to life. And yet for him in that moment, you can imagine the grief, the anger and the fear and the, the convoluted emotion. For this woman, she would have said, would have rather not had 12 years. But what we're seeing is Jesus moving and working in our circumstances. Jesus gets the final say. So the question for us this morning is this. Can you trust that Jesus is good? Can you trust that He's in control? That He's able and powerful? That He sees you? That He knows you? The stuff even you want no one to know? That He cares for you? And that He is at work for your good? Whether you can put your finger on it right now or not. Whether you are gyrus crying out, going, I don't know if I can believe or whether you are the woman going, it's been 12 years. I'm ashamed and I'm, I'm desperate and I'm broke. Jairus and the woman both had a flicker of hope. We do not see exuberant faith here. We see her going, maybe, just maybe if I touch him. And in that, she gets all of Jesus. Immediate return. Immediate return. It's all of Him. She didn't have to have enough faith. She had a flicker of faith. So this morning, the call for us is the same as Jairus gets in verse 50. Let's look at it one more time. But Jesus, on hearing this, right, that His daughter had died, answered Him. You can imagine Him going, Hey, Jairus, look at me. Don't fear. Only believe and she will be well. Jesus, right, is revealing Himself to us. And He's asking us to meet Him. Trust Him. Have faith in Him. That He will meet our needs. Regardless of how big or bold or bad they are. As He says to Jairus, don't fear, believe, and she will be well. But we this morning here don't fear, believe, and it will be well. The reason he has Jairus' family quiet is because he knows suffering comes, right? Like it's not all comfort and ease. There is difficulty. Jairus' daughter does eventually die again. Right? This woman who's healed, she dies. Like all these folks have died. They had other pains and suffering. But there is a, there is a lasting, eternal one that is coming that gets the final say, and that is in Jesus. He is beautiful, and He sees you, and He meets you in this this morning. Would we respond? The band's going to come back up. We have an opportunity to sing true things back to Him. The Lord's Supper is set up, and you, for it, the Lord's Supper is for believers, right? Those this morning who would say, "I believe and I trust Jesus," that His life and His death are in place of my life and my sin, so that I don't die. 
right? So that I'm not crushed. I have hope in life. So we drink the juice reminded of His blood spilt for us. And we take the cracker reminded of His body crushed on our behalf, murdered on our behalf. If, if you aren't walking with Jesus, we ask you to abstain from it because you can't honestly say that you trust that. There'll be men and women in the back of the room if you need someone to talk to or pray with, glad for you to do that. But would you respond as the Spirit is working and maneuvering in you? Whether it's the confession, sin, shame, that you would find freedom and know that the truth sets you free. Whether it's singing because you have rejoiced and tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Whether it's taking the Lord's Supper or praying. Would you respond to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It reveals so much about Your nature and Your character. God, thank You for giving us eyes to see it. That we could glimpse a little bit of how You see us, how You take us by the hand, how You care about us. Lord, this morning, for, for those who are doubting or, or fearing that maybe that's for someone else, someone who's cleaner or more known or with more status, Lord, would they be reminded that You see them that we have not run too far, that we have not out Your grace, we have not outshamed Your grace, God, that You see us and care for us. So Lord, right now, would You speak? Would You call some faith? Would You call others to confess? Would You call others to encouragement? Would You minister? In Jesus' name, Amen.